case from uh, <coughs> the Mumon kind, which I haven't uh, used for a while for tissue. Case. Yulman said, the world is vast and wide like this. Why do you put on the seven-panel robe at the sound of the bell? Mumon's commentary. Generally speaking, in practicing and studying Zen, it is most detestable to follow sounds and pursue colors. Even though you may become enlightened through hearing sounds and come to realize mind by seeing colors, that is the ordinary way of things. People do not know that for real Zen monks, when they are riding on sounds and becoming one with colors, everything is clear, moment by moment. Everything is full of wonder, action after action. When you hear a sound, however, just tell me, does the sound come to the ear, or does the ear go to the sound? Even though you have extinguished both sound and silence, what would you realize here? If you hear with your ear, you cannot realize it. When you hear with the eye, for the first time, it will become intimate. The verse. With realization, all things are of one family. Without realization, everything is separate and different. Without realization, all things are of one family. With realization, everything is separate and different. So today we encounter Yunmen again, which uh, his name is Japanese, in Japanese is Umwon. And for some of us, we remember Umwon, some don't. So it's a reminder for all of us he was a student of Bokushu and Seppo. He had two teachers, and he ended up succeeding to Seppo with Jefeng. Uh, and the story of his realization is uh, very famous in the Zen circles, and I'd like to bring it up again before we go on. <coughs> so, Yunmen went to Bokushu. Bokushu said, he knocked on the door, Bokushu said, who is it? Yunmen said, it's me. Bokushu said, what do you want? Yunmen said, I'm not clear about my life. I'd like the master to give me some instruction. Bokushu then opened the door and, taking a look at Yunmen, closed it again. Yunmen knocked on the door in this manner three days in a row. On the third day, when Bokushu opened the door, Yunmen knew exactly what's going to happen. So he stuck his foot in the doorway, trying to prevent the door from being closed. Bokushu grabbed Yunmen and yelled, Speak! Speak! When Yunmen began to speak, Bokushu gave him a shove and said, Too late! And then he slammed the door on his foot and broke it. At that moment, Yunmen experienced great realization. A lot there in the story, but 
the point of this story for us is to be reminded of relentless determination. This was not the beginning of his practice, obviously. He was working on it, with it, for a long time. And he wanted to be clear, to clarify. He made it the most important thing in his life. We have to ask, is it the same for us? Are we making our practice the most, the most important thing in our lives? Or is it another thing to attend to once in a while, once a week, twice a week? Another one of my many obligations, my duties, my responsibilities, commitments. How do we practice? It's a question we always have to go back to. Do we even practice? So last week we had a Zazenkai. And in the beginning of the, uh, the first period of the Zazenkai, there was uh, some degree of buzz, restlessness, restless energy in the Zendo. And I felt that there was a need to break the silence after the first period and clarify the necessity of stilling the body during Zazen. To actually not move, period. And not move an inch, not move a muscle, to be still. And the first of the Four Noble Truths is a factual statement that arises out of deep observation of the human condition. And as such, it is universal. It is referring to a sense of inner restlessness, discontentment, inadequacy in some level, right? regardless of inadequacy, insufficiency, different ways we experience this restlessness, different words we use to point at the same agitation. And it is universal, regardless of whether or not we call it spiritual path, we call ourselves practitioners. All that is not that important. What's important is that we get in touch with restlessness, agitation. go through a lifetime of denial and resistance and be totally in the grip of this universal state of mind. Or we can choose to intercept this automatic reactivity pattern by going directly to where those patterns manifest and how they manifest. And for that, we have to stay still. We have to not move. Any movement, any movement, at that time, at the time of Zazen, is already opening ourselves up to the restlessness. He's already allowing the restlessness to, to grab hold. 
and to control us. And then we are in the grip of it. How do we examine it while we are in the grip of it? So to not move is to experience the restlessness, to see what it wants us to do, and to see what happens when we don't obey it, when we don't give it what it wants. Otherwise, we're back in that cycle, in that process. So this is how we point our attention towards it, rather than, as we habitually do, away from it. And it is, of course, contrary to the common habit of running away from it, which is why it's so difficult. We don't want to do it. A couple of people, after the Zazenkai, mentioned to me that they felt even more resisting after I said, do not move. Yeah, it does feel this way. It accentuates the resistance in us, which is why it is sometimes so powerful to hear instructions like that, because it pushes us further into what we need to work with. And then we have an opportunity to look at it, to examine, to ask the right questions. What the Buddha realized 2,500 years ago is not an opinion to agree with or disagree with. And it doesn't belong to what we call Buddhism. It's just an inviolable law that must be realized by each of us by generating spiritual power, or what we call spiritual power, through this physical existence what we call your body, what I call my body. This is the gateway. This is how Buddha nature manifests, but also this is how the resistance or the veil manifests. What prevents us from realizing Buddha nature is the way Buddha nature manifests. Can we see that? Can we see that what seems to be a poison is essentially medicine? And by subduing the resistance, the restlessness, the agitation, then little by little it opens up, we open up. And then we recognize, here it is. Here it is, and we do it over and over and over again. And we 
call it voluntary restriction, right? Because we voluntarily restrict the movement of the body. We sit like a mountain and direct our attention to the breath while observing the restlessness. When the body is still, body still, it is much easier to see what is controlling us, what are we in the grip of, and to see that it's not what we think it is, that we are not what we think we are. facets we need to address as practitioners and it's not it's not an easy task to maintain right? we're asked to to keep up with daily zazen and show up for zangasis sangasis sorry and some on some regular basis and of course attend zazen kais and sashins which are challenging for us given the everything else we have to do in our lives and the other responsibilities and of course, we have to keep some study relationship with the teacher. Maybe consider taking the vows or examine how we are working with vows if we have already taken them. And then keep it all seamless, which sometimes keeps things heavy, thick, muddy. But you know, I think, I think that all those challenges, or seeming challenges, actually flow right into our zazen practice. And if we can attend to that on a regular basis and maintain and practice correctly, then everything else kind of falls into place. We don't have to worry so much about it. Which means we have to look at how or what is the state of our zazen? How do we practice zazen? Is it a chore? Is it a burden? Is it a burden to practice daily? From talking to many practitioners, many students, it is. I see that it is an issue for a lot of people. Maybe not so much sitting with the sangha, but more so sitting alone at home. Many people say that it is much easier to sit with the Sangha than to sit at home. And why is that? When I ask, why is that? Then people often say that sitting with the Sangha, there is a the strength of unity of sitting together with other people, we support each other, we help each other, we generate a collective strength, collective energy on which we all can lean against, be supported by. And it's true. It's true. But I don't think it's the real reason why it is 
easier to sit with the Sangha and most, uh, more difficult to sit by ourselves at home. I think it has more to do with the fact that when you sit with the Sangha, you're less likely to just get up and go in the middle of a seat. It's a different feeling because you're sitting with others, there's some level of peer pressure, and somebody is driving, there is a jikido. So there is some level of not taking full responsibility for the practice. I am sitting as a passenger in this bus. There is a driver. I'm just going to sit here and look outside and enjoy the view as much as I can and wait for the bus to arrive at the destination. Wait for the doors to open up. Basically abdicate, abdicate our responsibility. Somebody is doing it for me. It's a totally different experience when we see at home. Even if we have an app that is acting as if there is a jikido in the room, essentially, you can get up whenever you want. You can move as much as you want. Scratch as much as you want. There's nobody there, just you. And that's what makes the difference. And that should not be different whether we sit with the Sangha or we sit alone. The aspect of personal responsibility to your practice. It is a solitary practice. as much as we are supporting each other in this room, in the Zendo, together. Essentially, you sit by yourself. Only you can work with what comes up. Only you can choose to transmute emotions, thoughts, memories, Fears. Only you can do that. And the only way to do that is by taking res full responsibility for your practice. With every breath, every passing second, full responsibility. We are the jikido. Everybody is a jikido. But why sit? Why do we have to sit? Right? That's a question that comes up so often. Do I have to sit? Can I do this work while doing other things? Can I do it while hiking?
Can I do it while filling the blank? While I do what I enjoy to do? Whatever that is. Why? Newman says to his monks, the world is vast and wide like this. Why do you put on seven panel robe? Why do you put on the kesa at the sound of the bell? What is he asking? Of course, he knows exactly how we feel about this. He knows how we feel about restrictions. He also knows the glitz and glamour of the world. He also knows the temptations to go somewhere else, to do something else, to not be here, to not sit still. And he's pushing it further, he's pushing us further to look at it. Why are you doing this? Is it out of obligation? Is it because you have to? Why? It's a very interesting word. Why? Now, the, the reason why he's asking about the robe is because he's speaking to monks at the monastery, and obviously the monastery Things are very structured, and when you hear the bell at different times of the day, you know it's time to take off your work clothes, put on your robes, and go to the zendo to sit, or for liturgy, or for the next activity. It is not the same for us, right? For us, it's more like, why do you wake up in the morning when you hear the alarm. Why do you go to work? Why do you prepare a meeting? Why do you do what you do? Now when we hear a question, why, <clears throat> the thinking mind goes directly to what the why is referring to. Why do I make a meal? Well, let me think about that. I make a meal because it is nourishment, because I need that. I put on the robes because this is part of the practice. I sit because I want to realize, because I want to clarify, because, because, and because. There is a reason. There are reasons. Everything is justified. Even an obligation is a reason. But does it work? When we look at the reason, is the attention going to the right place? Is that what we mean by practice? Is that what we need to focus on? Because when it goes to that, when it goes to what the why is referring to, we end up measuring, comparing, quantifying, evaluating according to parameters that are based on gain and loss. What do I get out of this? 
Is it worth the time and effort I put into it? And as long as we are engaged in such way of thinking, we completely miss Newman's intent. Or maybe we completely prove his point for making that statement. The necessity of such statement. He knows how we think. Or he knows how the mind works. What he's asking us to examine the why instead of getting lost in weighing and comparing contents. And this why can reveal a lot about our relationship with form. And it can also open up a pathway to freedom within what seems to be restricting and binding. You know, trying to give an answer by examining the contents is like trying to scratch a persistent itch that keeps coming back. It can never be scratched. Now we can always produce a long list of benefits and explain why we keep up with practice. But it doesn't work. It only keeps us in a state of attachment to reasoning and justifications. And then we are lost without reasons and justifications. What else is there? If I cannot explain to myself and maybe to others why I'm doing what I'm doing, then why am I doing it? And often we can't explain this. People say that. Friends, family, ask them, why are you doing this? And try to explain. Very quickly run into a dead end. It doesn't go anywhere. The question is, why are you trying to explain? Do we need to? All it does, as long as we are attached to reasonings and justifications, we only strengthen a separate sense of self and experience further discontentment further restlessness. Is it possible, is it possible to sit for the sake of sitting, to stand for the sake of standing, and to walk for the sake of walking? Can we see the simplicity and beauty of doing whatever it is we do without any hidden agenda. And without being attached to some idea of an expected outcome. Is it possible? Is it possible to chant for the sake of chanting? And allow that to deepen our understanding and go deeply into the chant, the voice, the sound. Yeah, there are questions floating around in our minds. Why am I doing this? Is it necessary? 
isn't that repetition of the same thing over and over again? Isn't it boring? I got the point. I'm really good at it by now. And on and on and on and on, we churn the mind, or the mind churns us. So why do you get out of bed when your alarm goes off? Why do you hop on the subway when the doors open up? Why? Why do you pick up the phone when somebody calls? Why do you answer when someone calls your name? You know, and, and often to each of these questions, we, we have prepackaged answers that seem to explain and justify the reason for the action. And this is exactly how we entangle ourselves with explanations, through reasoning. To enter the pristine and pure Dharma realm, we need to draw the attention away from that, away from the incessant need for explanations, and focus solely on the why itself, which is what Yunmen is asking us to do. Not to run to answer it quickly, to feel the uncertainty. I don't know. I don't know. Is that acceptable? Can I stay here with I don't know why? We have to do it. If we don't do it, if we don't stick around with that open space of the why, then we don't see that it's magical. We don't see that it can bring some space and air into our lives that often seem so dense and so heavy. And by doing that, we can encourage and promote joy, creativity, lightness, by not being so concerned with having to explain everything and justify. You know, it's like attending to a plant. You can plant it in the best quality soil you can find. But if you don't aerate the soil, the plant will die. It doesn't just need good quality soil. It needs air. Between the particles of soil, you need particles of air. Within particles of something, you need lots of particles of nothing for life to flow, for life to flourish. We need no thing. We need no reason within the world of reason. We need illogical, within logic. We need not knowing within knowing. We suffocate ourselves. 
too much knowledge, too much reason, too many questions. We strain ourselves trying to answer But the answer is before the question. Or if the answer we're looking for is before the question, not after the question. Once the question arises, it can lead to chaos, and often it does. It can lead to entanglements, as often it does. It doesn't have to, but often it does. Now, Zazen is also like that. It brings vital oxygen and some space to a dense life that is often suffocated by the details of the storyline. But we have to be careful not to drag our Zazen practice into the storyline and then dress it up with some reason. Here is why I sit. I know why I'm sitting. Now we need to keep the air and the soil integrated, but not mixed into a big lump of dense and hardened soil. Together and separated. Form and formlessness. One and the same. One and the same. But we have to see reality at its fullness and not just half of it. Which means to see the formlessness in the form. To see the spaces in the dense. When you sit, just sit. When you intermingle with everyday life, deal with challenges, just do that. That's all. That's all we need to do. The verse begins with two lines that may seem easier to grasp. With realization, it says, all things are of one family, Without realization, everything is separate and different. So the first two lines make some sense. Maybe easily understood. Right? Realization, as we know, as we understand, sheds light on the fundamental equality of all things, right? And it, when it's absent, when there is no realization, all things appear separated. But then, what about the third and fourth lines. Third line says, without realization, all things are of one family. Without realization, all things are of one family. And the fourth line says, with realization, everything is separate and different. So is the third line negating the first? Is the fourth negating the second? How could that be? And this is one of the things we have to examine on ourselves, by ourselves, on our own, when we work with this call. And 
even much, much more after that, much deeper after that, after we walk on this koan, to keep it alive, and to dive deeply into understanding what it means. Practice continues forever. It never ends. And deepening and refinement never ends. You know, the why that is brought up in this koan can shed light on what keeps us chained to sounds, to sights, to form. And as long as we are obsessed with satisfying this questions or the question through logical reasoning we remain locked in the conventional realm and the vastness Yunman speaks of will remain unavailable to us it is the world is vast and open but not the way we think of it not in a way of it's vast and open why am I wasting my time here because that's how we think. There's so many other things to do right now. Why am I just sitting here torturing myself? Right? No. That's not what he means. And to be able to align with this vastness, we must first become acquainted with the vastness within ourselves. So we match it, we look within. Before we can meet spaciousness, we have to learn how to recognize spaciousness within ourselves. Before we can speak that language, we have to study it. And then we can function using that language. In a fascicle named Bendoa, which means discourse on practicing the way, Dogen says, people are already abundantly endowed with the Dharma in every part of their being. But until they do the training, it will not emerge. And unless they personally confirm it for themselves, there will be no way for them to realize what it is. So we sit, and we confirm, and we see, and we experience spaciousness within what seems to be highly restrictive and restricting. Within stillness, we experience freedom and space. And then, of course, it comes to life. And then we experience space in what is otherwise very dense, very heavy lives. And our training is to learn to realize on an experiential level that the world is indeed vast and wide like this, as he says. And then to recognize that this vastness is never hindered or limited by life. 
stillness does not limit anything. It just allows us to see. You know, this question, why? It's like a fork in the road. It can lead to a fearful and static existence or to a courageous and dynamic life. And it's up to us to decide how to proceed from here. And when body and mind drop away, the why also drops away. You are, you are none other than the wide and vast spaciousness. Everything is realized and recognized as coming out of and going back into vast spaciousness. 